Welcome back for episode 40 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Millennium. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is teaching us about the book of Revelation by relating it to the Latter-day Saint Temple experience. In our last podcast, we saw the fall of Babylon, which was brought about by seven angels pouring seven bowls of wrath on the earth. This symbolized the purification of the world for the return of Jesus Christ. Yes, remember that uh, Passover. The ancient temple priests would collect the blood of the sacrificial lamb in bowls and pour them on the altar. This ceremony helped them Remember that in Exodus, when the Lord promised the children of Israel, that if they would smear the blood of a sacrificial lamb on their doorposts, the destroying angel would pass over them. And that was called Passover, right? Yeah. And the Jews have celebrated it ever since. Well, it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in, in the latter days, we will all take part in another Passover. It's not going to be a dinner. <laughs> it's going to be a Passover. Mm-hmm. Revelation chapter 16 describes this Passover. Like the ancient priests, the angels in um, chapter 16, 17, 18, 19, they're going to pour out on the wicked symbolic bowls that represent various plagues. Okay, But for the righteous, if they apply themselves, or if they apply to themselves, rather, the atoning blood of Christ, the destroyer passes over them, the plagues pass over them, just as happened with the children of Israel in Egypt. And remember that when the plagues were finished, Pharaoh let the children of Israel go. They were free, and they left Egypt for the promised land. The same thing will happen symbolically in the latter days. When the destroying angels have finished Uh, purifying the earth, right, with uh, the plagues of the seven bowls. That's all a purification ceremony. Mm -hmm. The righteous will be free of Satan's dominion, and the Savior will come again on the earth. In the last episode, we saw the Savior come down out of the clouds of heaven. John called him the bridegroom, and he arrived with his wedding party. And they were loud, if I remember. Yeah, there's a big celebration. Mm-hmm. There will be a big celebration. A triumphant parade. You remember we described all that? Yep. It, mm-hmm. it will be party time. Yep. Uh, like the children of Israel leaving Egypt, Latter-day Israel will celebrate when Jehovah frees the earth from the powers of Satan. Then our mortal journey, or the mortal journey of, of Adam and Eve and, and their posterity, that's who we are, Uh, will enter a new stage. The world will be illuminated by the light of Christ. It's like going from one ordinance room to another in the Mm -hmm. temple. Mm -hmm. The dark times will end, just like uh, at the end of winter, when things get brighter and warmer and so forth. All through the book of Revelation, John compares our mortal journey to the seasons of the year. So the book of Revelation takes place over a year of four seasons. Right. It all starts in the pre-mortal world in the summer, the Lord's uh, presence that is full of warmth and light. And then when we enter the mortal world, we experience the fall, which Mm. is uh, 
uh, pardon the pun, the fall season mm-hmm. of man's experience yeah. or existence, rather. Adam and Eve and their posterity have to go through the Great Tribulation, which uh, is compared to winter. Why do I say that? Well, we, we keep getting references in the text to the winter constellations in the sky along the way, like uh, Scorpio and uh, Aquarius and Sagittarius and so forth. So we we know we're in the dark time of the journey. Uh, It's a time of trial. But now it ends because spring comes. And Jesus says that you will know his coming is near when, quote, the trees begin to shoot forth, (laughs) which which is, of course, spring. Right, right, right. right. And and their leaves are yet tender. Mm -hmm. That's in Doctrine and Covenants 45. That's spring. Also, we know spring is coming because up in the sky, the constellation Aries rises. Aries is the constellation of the Lamb. So a person who is born under the sign of Aries is born under the Lamb, and that's in the springtime. Yes, and this is a very old tradition going back at least as far as the Egyptians. The Egyptian year started in the spring. The Egyptians called Aries, the constellation Aries, quote, the opener of the year. Aries was the symbol for Amun, or Amun, who was their chief god, the, uh, the lord of heaven, who is right at the top of the circle of the cosmos, okay, in, uh, in the zodiac and in facsimile to the book of Abraham, if you look. You, you remember that the chief of the Egyptian gods was Amun, right. who was represented by a ram or a lamb. Even among the Greeks, Ares is, maybe you remember the uh, story of the golden fleece. And the golden fleece was something to be sought because it had uh, healing power. The golden fleece was a a ram, the the skin of a ram was sacrificed to save us. And among the Jews, the lamb, the Hebrew word is talech, the male lamb without blemish that was sacrificed at Passover. So this all comes together, you see, under the sign of Aries in the sky. For the early Christians, like John, Aries would have symbolized Jesus Christ. There is a, um, a New Testament scholar named Bruce Molina And this is what he says, quote, John sees the cosmic lamb since the foundation of the world as preeminent king and lord. And according to the ancient astronomer Ptolemy, Aries was the zodiac sign for the lineage of Judah, the family of Christ, who was probably born and died under the sign of Aries. You say Jesus was born under the sign of Aries in the springtime? Well, in John's time, Aries rose just when the sun crossed the equator at the spring equinox, when day exactly equals night. Ancient peoples found this perfect balance of day and night to be a good omen, okay? And the conjunction of of the sun with the equator, it symbolized royalty, a time when the sun is exalted, Now, here's something very cool. In April of the year 6 BC, the royal planet Jupiter rose high into the constellation Aries, okay, as the morning star. Mm. Now, now remember this. Remember that Jupiter is the king of the gods, right? Mm -hmm. And also remember that Aries is the sign of Judah. So you put these two things together, and to the ancients, this would have been very significant. To us, it, 
it's meaningless, but to ancient people, to see Jupiter rise into Aries was an important astrological happening. In this position, I think Jupiter was the star of Bethlehem. Oh, wow. Wow. It was the sign that a new king, right, Jupiter, of the Jews, Aries, was born. Now, mm. to them, that would have been significant. And the wise men, or, or the magi, magi is the Greek term, possibly were Jews from Babylon, or, or maybe they were Iranian astrologers. We don't know. But um, they would have interpreted this happening. And um, when they came to Herod, they said, we have seen his star in the east, right? Who, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. Now, notice that the wise men say his star, not new star, or star we've never seen before. Rather mm -hmm. than saying, this is his sign. This is the sign that a king of the Jews has been born. So, I think that's the star of Bethlehem. I don't think it's a new star at all. I think it's simply a conjunction of um, two important events or two important astrological happenings that mean absolutely nothing to us but would have been very significant to them, okay? So explain to me, like, the BCE, 6 BCE, is that like... Oh, that's just, uh, uh, that's just another way of saying B.C. B.C. means before Christ. Before Christ. So six years before Christ? Or? Yeah. Okay. B B.C.E. would be before the Christian era. It's another, just the... another way of saying okay, B.C. Okay, got, got it. Now, the fact that it was 6 B.C. when this happened is important because historians don't think Jesus was born in the year zero. Oh. Couldn't have been, because Herod the Great, who, of course, persecuted the children of Bethlehem and right. had them killed, was himself dead by the year 4 B.C. So if Jesus was born during the lifetime of Herod the Great, it would have had to be before the year zero. <laughs> right, so if Herod was born, Herod the Great was born in 4 B.C.E. Died in 4 I mean, he died. He yes. died. If Herod the Great died in 4 B.C.E., yes. then... Christ needed to be, have been born prior to that. Before 4 BCE, which would right. be, uh, and then the year 6 BCE puts him within two years of this happening. Got it. Okay. Got it. So all that kind of 0 to 30, 33, 30 to 33, it may have shifted a few years, it, right? I, yeah, well, historians say it has to have shifted. If the story has to be, is, is consistent, Herod was not alive in the year 0. Yeah. Herod had been dead for four years, so... Oh. If Herod is the one who uh, ordered the execution of the children of Bethlehem under two years of age, remember? Right, right. It had to have been. Mm, had to okay. have been somewhere in the range of um, 6 BC. Okay, that makes Thank you for explaining yeah. that. I'm a novice, so that was <laughs> really that, helpful. And that's when the, uh, the wise men came to Herod and said, we saw his sign. Where is he? Okay. Right. Um, and yeah. we don't think that... Um, the Magi showed up at the stable <laughs> because right. the text of Matthew says they came to the house where Jesus lived. Right. And so historians think it may have taken them a while to get to right. that point. They may have seen the star sign long before or maybe months or maybe even years before they arrived in right. Jerusalem. Very cool. Because we have to remember there was no interstate highway between right, right, Babylon right. and 
and Jerusalem yeah. would have taken a while to get there. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to explain that to me. I appreciate it. Not, not at all. I think it's in, interesting and important information. Yeah. So the, um, the heavenly sign of spring signals the return of the Savior to the earth, right? He was born under the sign. He should return under the sign. He was born in the spring. He should return in the spring. Or rather, the spring symbolizes his return, whether he returns in the spring or not. Um, spring symbolizes his return. Just, just as Pharaoh freed Israel from slavery, according to the Jewish legends, he, he uh, freed the slaves in, under the sign of Aries, which would have been in the spring. Just as he freed them under the sign of Aries, righteous Israel now gathers from among all the nations and comes to Zion, singing with songs of everlasting joy, according to Doctrine and Covenants 45. So when John hears the song, the voice of a great multitude as the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord omnipotent reigneth. That's, uh, that's the announcement. That's the great uh, greeting, right? of Jesus as he returns to take possession of his kingdom. And that's found in Revelation 19, verse 6. So by this point, all the wicked have been removed from the earth. Only the righteous are left? Yes, we enter into a, a new scene, the terrestrial world. It's a terrestrial glory. It's a brighter, it's a more hopeful world. It's free of the adversary, correlates to the terrestrial uh, room in the temple. This is a place, this is a time, this is an environment where the saints can work uh, for the salvation of souls without a lot of distraction. President Joseph Fielding Smith said this, he's quote, when the reign of Jesus Christ comes during the millennium, only those who have lived the telestial law will be removed. Okay, so only the wicked will be gone. They will not have been able to survive the plagues. Do you remember in um, Third Nephi when the earthquakes and the storms hit? Mm -hmm. We find out in the text that when that's all over with, only the more righteous part of the population has survived. Been, yeah. have survived. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it'll be similar to that. President Smith goes on to say, those who have lived virtuous lives shall remain. They won't all be members of the church. In fact, church may still be a minority, but they'll be good people, as I think most people are. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. I think the world will still be populated with good people, whether they're members of the church or not. Mm -hmm. And everybody who is living a celestial law, uh, who is wicked, including some members of the church, okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> will have been removed. Okay. Mm. All right. So what happens to Satan? You remember that um, Jesus went into the temple and cleansed it. Remember he threw out all the yeah the, the thieves. He was quite forceful. And, he was uh, very forceful. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is simply a sign and token of what's going to happen um, in the end times. He's going to throw out the um, sources of evil from the earth. And in the same way here, the immortal Christ throws Satan off the stage. Okay, just throws him off the stage. Could you read for us uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 3? And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. 
And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a season. Yeah. That um, is very cool. Like that, the way that's written yeah. is just very cool. It's poetic, isn't it? Very poetic. So an angel, possibly Peter, who holds the sealing keys, ties him down in the pit. Remember that um, part of the um, ceremonies, uh, the annual ceremonies at the ancient temple of Jerusalem, they would transfer the sins, the high priest would transfer the sins of Israel into a goat. Then they would lead the goat out. They threw him over a cliff, at least according to some sources they did this. Although that's not described in, in the Bible, but... Um, the goat was taken to a cliff at a certain place in near Jerusalem called Duda'el, which means the cauldron of God. It must have been kind of a hot desert place. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know there are such places yes, around, yes, around there, Jerusalem, yes, cliffs are. that are pretty... Uh, a lot of cliffs, a lot of mountains, a lot of heat. desert cliffs. They take the, the scapegoat to the cliff of Duda'el, and according to uh, the Book of Enoch, the angel binds Satan hand and foot and throws him into the darkness. Enoch says, And the angel made a hole in the desert, which was in Dudael, and cast him there. Okay, So it's all very symbolic. The angel uh, seals Satan into this pit so that, quote, he should deceive the nations no more. He's, he's not allowed anymore to do his deceiving work. And the Savior is now free to rule. And he prepares us, or the people who are alive, and the people who are dead, the souls that are dead, for judgment. This is a preparation period. Satanic delusions are not going to get in the way for a season until everything is done. So now the saints live and reign with Christ for a thousand years, while Satan is tied down. Why a thousand years? You know, Christians have always argued about that. They've always argued about the millennium. Will it come before or after the Great Tribulation? Just questions that are kind of silly. Will only Christians be on the earth? Will there be a spiritual era of peace? Or, or will there be an actual earthly kingdom? These are the kinds of questions that, that beleaguer um, our Christian friends. But interestingly enough, they never seem to ask the real question, which is, why a millennium? Anyway, why why this thousand years? What purpose does it serve? One of my favorite theologians, Jacques Ellul, the French theologian, says, well, he, he's baffled by this. And, and he actually asked this question in one of his books. He says, quote, Satan is first of all unchained, and then he is set free and destroyed. Why the delay? Why this space, this period of a thousand years? What purpose does it serve? He doesn't know. Well, that's because he's not privy to what well, we know. Well, yeah. well, we know yeah. by Joseph Smith's revelations. Modern revelation has the answer to that question. The purpose of the millennium is to redeem those who have died without receiving the ordinances of exaltation. It's going to take a long time to teach and baptize all those people 
were not only alive, but, but also died without knowing the gospel or who refused to listen to it. Those people, those millions of people, are going to have to be taught and have the full opportunity to, to accept or reject the gospel of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been, to, I've been all over the world and all over this country, and right. um, I just think most people are good. And I think most people who ever lived did the best they could. I, I agree with that. And, and their desires were for goodness yeah. because they, they too had the light of Christ in their hearts. I think everybody who died without a knowledge of Christ will hear it will, and they will have the chance to accept it and I think they will accept it. Now, the, the question that used to bug me years ago was why do so few people ever get the chance to hear the gospel? Right. That used to bother me. Yeah. And it doesn't bother me now, and I'll tell you why. Everybody who's born into this world is a child of God. And every one of them still has to go through the great tribulation, mm -hmm. which is mortal life. They have to deal with it. They have to learn. They have to experience. They have to undergo trials and joys, tribulations and sorrows, and happiness and sadness. They all have to taste the bitter and the sweet. It doesn't matter whether they were born a slave in Egypt 6,000 years ago or whether they were born in Provo to a Latter-day Saint family with pictures of the temple on the walls. It doesn't matter. We all have to go through the same level of tribulation. And we all get proved one way or the other. And I think very few fail that test. I really do. I think most people do the best with the light they have. And having gone through that experience, they have fulfilled the purpose for their creation. Now, that's how it, what I believe now. Therefore, those of us who have been uh, trained in the gospel and accepted all the ordinances and so forth, that doesn't mean we're any better. What it means is that maybe we have a responsibility, we have a calling to do some work with them, right? with these other people. It's our job yeah, that's to it. do the teaching. It doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us even necessarily more blessed. It's just a different role. It's we a have different a, role. Right, we have exactly. A different role. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you and I will be around. Maybe we will. Yeah. In some resurrected form, or maybe we'll <clears> still be doddering around in our old age. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I do know that we will be, because I'm already doddering around in my old age, <laughs> but I do know that it will be a, a, a wonderful opportunity to do some serious missionary work among many, many souls. And I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a celebratory time. Maybe we'll be companions. Maybe so. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be very cool. We would be a, we would be a, a, a mighty companionship because you can hold them down while I baptize them. <laughs> <laughs> we would have some we would yes. have some fun. Yes, you 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 would they wouldn't escape your, your grasp, let's say that. Yes. Okay. Um, but you know there's another reason for the thousand years, uh, for the millennium. 
Uh, could you read chapter 20, verse 4, please? And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Okay, so what's that all about? Well, the saints will need time to prepare to reign as kings and queens in the eternities. Uh, it's not like we're born to rule, right? Right. We're born to learn to rule in the eternities. Why would the saints be given the opportunity to reign, R-E-I-G-N, or rule uh, with Christ alongside him? Well, under his supervision, uh, the saints will learn how to exercise righteous dominion over their posterity or over others from a throne so they will be like kings and queens. And if you remember back in chapter 3 during the initiatory ordinances, the Savior promised to, quote, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. So this will be a training period. Uh, it'll be sort of like driver's ed, okay? Yeah, right, <laughs> um, okay. The Savior will sit next to us, literally, and we will sit next to him, literally, in his throne, and he will teach us how to be a king and a queen, a god and a goddess, priest and priestess. This will be the university of the Lord. Now, we will learn how to rule with gentleness, and meekness, and love unfeigned, too many of us don't know how to do that. Yeah, it's hard. It's we, hard we are, our idea of authority and dominion is to kick butts and take names and yeah. tell people what to do. In the millennium, all oppression is cleansed from the earth. So we will not be in a position to order people around and tell them what to do. That is not how we will rule. And Jesus will teach us how to rule with gentleness and meekness and love unfeigned, and I don't know about you, but it's going to take a while to teach me how to do that. Yeah, it's going to be, that's why we need some time, right? Yeah. yeah. So he will teach the saints how to govern people, our posterity, with the feeling of a tender parent, mm. as it says in the scriptures in First Nephi 8. What will the world be like? Won't there be any war or contention or hatred? I mean... We've had thousands of years to, to hate each other. Exactly. That's why we will have that thousand years, so that we can learn not to do those things. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants 101, 26. Quote, In that day, the enmity of man and the enmity of beasts, yea, the enmity of all flesh, shall cease. So that is the period of a righteous dominion. It's the period when we will learn how to be in charge, but in charge in the right way. There will be no more contention. Now, what kind of a world will there be when there's no arguing or uh, contending? Uh, well, section 45, verse 58 says this, quote, The earth uh, shall be given unto them, meaning the righteous, for an inheritance, and they shall multiply and wax strong, and their children shall grow up without sin unto salvation. So after, after living through all the bitterness and hatred 
and contention of the great mortal tribulation. We have learned about that, know about it. We'll be living in a world at peace. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Yeah, it is hard. But it won't last. And we'll find out about that next time. Bummer. <laughs> I, was really, I was really hoping we'd have some peace there for a while. So, well, and we are for a thousand years. Thank you for your time.